0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Back then, it was a coin flip between the worst
1: team in the West and the worst team in the East. And the Houston Rockets won that coin flip to get none other than local Houston Cougars project, Hakeem Olajuwon. You flash forward 30 years later, in Adam Silver's first year as commissioner, he takes over from David Stern at the draft in 2013, at Stan Hankey's first draft. That's when we see all these teams start to become, you know, the Sixers tanking and, and, and then fumbling game after game was just as big a storyline as those
0: record-setting Golden State Warriors. The, the Brandon, Brandon Kravitz podcast, podcast starts, starts now. now. time to play the game.
1: Time to play
2: the game. Hello all, welcome in to another edition of the Brandon Kravitz podcast. This episode sponsored by Landscape Design Source, design, install, maintenance. My man Andrew Davis has you covered. Get that one looking fresh ahead of the holiday season. Give him a call 407-437-7576 or email landscapedesignsource at gmail.com. On today's episode, I'm going to fire up a chat that I had a while back with the author of the book Built to Lose, Jake Fisher. He wrote a really interesting tell-all on the history of the culture of tanking in the NBA, how the magic got caught up in it, how the 76ers almost perfected it, and a cool story on how Giannis wound up with the Milwaukee Bucks via the current GM of the Orlando Magic, John Hammond. And certainly the Magic hope to find their own version of the Greek Freak. A couple of thoughts first before we get into the interview portion of this podcast, since we're on the topic of the Magic. A couple of things on my mind here with where this team is right now. Folks, we need to strap in and be aware of what might be going on here. in uh, in the pivot, that isn't even so much a pivot because you kind of knew what the season was going into the year. Uh, but it's part of the reason why I plucked this uh, interview out of my archives because the tank might be on. As I'm recording this right now, the Magic are 3-11. and They're the third worst record in the NBA behind only the Rockets and the Pelicans. They've dropped three straight, and the upcoming schedule, as I'm recording this right now, is the following. The Knicks, the Nets, the Bucks, the Bucks, the Hornets, Bulls, Cavs, and 76ers. The Magic might not win another game in November. That's the rest of the schedule for the rest of this month before we head into December. And while many people say the basketball season doesn't start until Christmas, if you have one of the worst records in the NBA, it's, uh, it's already started and you've got to make your plans for how you're going to handle this moving forward. If you're in the management position of Jeff Weltman and John Hammond. Now, for the record, I don't want to see this team tank. Uh, Last year, the back end of last season was enough for me. I don't mind tanking. I don't like long-term tanking. And so if it is what it is and the team loses, that's fine. Uh, But I don't want to see them put that foot forward because, uh, you know, as somebody who's part of, uh, at least on a semi-basis, part of the broadcast crew, we have to talk about this team and just the fact that, you know, we're on a station that's the home of the magic uh, for the uh, the show that I do five days a week on 96.9 The Game. You want the team to be somewhat relevant, and it's hard to be relevant when you're tanking. But if we're honest with ourselves, even if they don't, I mean, is the outcome really going to be all that different? And that leads me to the next thing on my list here, which is there's still no update on Jonathan Isaac and Markel Foltz, And it seems like Jeff Weltman and John Hammond, the Magic Brass, are kind of keeping this close to the vest. We keep getting the same report, and I feel like we've been getting it since months before the season started. Ah, uh, They're making progress. They're going through the protocols. And yet there's just not anything new uh, with the progression of Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz and their ability to step back onto the floor. And I do wonder if their record is any indication of the lack of a push to get them back out on a basketball court. Both guys right now are locked up on semi long-term deals, 2024, 2025. That's when their two contracts expire. And so it's kind of like a business decision. And I'm sure, I would think it would annoy the hell out of Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac if they were told to sort of slow play it. We're not bringing you back out there because all you're going to help us do is win games. And we're not really in the business of doing that right now. So bringing you guys who are both in their own right pretty injury prone players that are locked up to long term deals. It doesn't really do the magic any good on a couple of fronts to bring these guys back quickly because, A, they're going to help you win, and if that's not what you want to do, then they're not going to help you in your endeavor, and B, if you bring them back and they get hurt again, now you're saddled with a bad contract for guys that can't get back out on the floor, so maybe they become trade chips or maybe they're just guys that the Magic don't usher out until next season. Or maybe you just get them back out onto the floor at the end of this year just to kind of give them, uh, let them get their sea legs under them a little bit, get back out onto the floor. But the last thing they're going to do is rush these guys out there. Hell, if they were going to rush these guys out there, they'd be out there already. And so they're slow playing it, and it just starts – it will, if it doesn't already, will start to feel like, it's part of a strategy more than those guys not having the ability to step out onto a basketball court. One other quick thought on this. Um, uh, not necessarily the, the tank portion, but where the magic coverage is right now nationally. Uh, I was, uh, one of our zone heads in the Facebook group page that I run, Gabe Lima turned me onto this podcast. It's the locked on NBA. And so that's become my daily routine during the week probably around like 930 in the morning, I'll listen to a good 20 minutes of that podcast where they cover what happened the night before. It's a good way for me as I'm going about my business. I can't park myself in front of the TV for extended hours of time uh, leading up in my mid morning to the afternoon. So I kind of need to be on the go and I want to know what happened the night before in the NBA, not just looking at box scores, um, and they do an incredible job on that podcast. So shout out to those guys for covering the NBA every day and kind of giving me what I need in a quick 20 to 25 minutes without you know, going on and on and on. And one of the things I notice is that whenever there's a Magic game the night before, man, they breeze by that thing so fast. They don't cover it at all. And I think they do a good job with the NBA, and I'm not blaming them. This is sort of the state of Magic coverage nationally. The Magic do not get talked about. Uh, Outside of a posterization dunk by Franz Wagner, the Magic are just not discussed nationally, and now there's kind of like a local lag that's going on, too. Josh Robbins moved off of Magic beat coverage for the Athletic, and he now covers the Washington Wizards, and I've got a lot of respect for Josh. Him and I have not always seen eye to eye. We've had our disagreements, but... Josh Robbins is an incredible reporter, and he did a really good job covering the Magic. I am a card-carrying member of TheAthletic.com. I've got the app. I've got the website. I've got a subscription. Um, I do the full site subscription, so I can click on any of these stories. But I know there are a lot of people out there, a lot of Magic fans, probably some people listening to this podcast that are subscribed only to the Magic coverage. It's super cheap. If you only subscribe to one team or one region, well, so Josh Robbins moves off of Magic coverage. He's now covering the Wizards, and they haven't replaced him. And I don't know if they're even trying to replace him. The last Magic-specific story at TheAthletic.com was posted on October 28th. I'm posting this podcast on November 16th. So if you're a Magic subscriber to The Athletic, just cancel it. They have... Deserted you. There is no content, no coverage for that team on the website. It's disappointing. And so we know that this team is not nationally relevant, but now you've got websites that have a local spin to them that are not even trying to cover the Magic right now. Well, I have uh, led you to this point. I will now hand the baton off to Jake Fisher, author of the book Built to Lose, as the Magic might be in for another year of Tank Mode. Jake, welcome to the show, first and foremost. Uh, congrats on the new book.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it, it features a lot of the Orlando Magic from 2012 to 2016 before they tanked the second iteration right now.
2: <laughs> exactly, and I want to get into all of that, and there's so much that I want to get into here, but let's start with the open to your book. You talk about the Sam Hinkie led Sixers. Um, really seem to earmark 2012 as the true dawn of the tank era in the nba is it fair to say that this is just recently popularized in the last 10 years it's not the first time that teams have done it but in terms of it being a trend in the nba
1: yeah the the book kind of brings together all these teams that kind of were brought and and, and attached at that dwight howard trade right the magic the sixers the lakers The Suns weren't in that deal, but they were part of it, basically, you know, moving on, trading Steve Nash to the Lakers at that same time. Boston moved on from KG and Paul Pearson, rebuilt at that same, uh, you know, type of time period as well. And and all these analytical-minded executives, Rob Hennigan in Orlando, Sam Hinckley in Philadelphia, even Danny Ainge in Boston is kind of like the godfather of the uh, analytical movement before Daryl Morey was Boston had Morey before he went to Houston, right? All those guys were looking around the league, thinking Miami back in the back in that you know time period, they're winning the East every single year with a bunch of guys that were at the top of the draft in 2003, and coincidentally, the best draft so or so called at the time since 2003 was that 2014 class with Joel Embiid, Jabari Parker, and Andrew Wiggins at the top. Now, of course and B is the only one of that top tier who is still today a superstar MVP-type candidate player. But that's why all those teams were doing it. It was twofold. It was trying to outlast those Heat teams, but also trying to get the next generation of guys that could become the next type of the Heat team.
2: You know, I find it interesting that you highlight 2012 and on as this new era of tanking when the the lottery is in existence in the NBA for a reason. So this had to be something that... Uh, that Adam Silver, um, David Stern probably more so, because he's the one that put it into place, uh, that they they looked at the NBA and said, we have to do something here where the worst team doesn't automatically get the best pick. So how did it come about, and why did it take so long to become this big popular trend?
1: For sure. It's pretty cyclical and actually very, very interesting. In in 1984, we're flashing way back here, David Stern's first year as commissioner, the Houston Rockets tanks very, very, very egregiously and brazenly to fall down into the lottery. Back then, it was a coin flip between the worst team in the West and the worst team in the East. And the Houston Rockets won that coin flip to get none other than local Houston Cougars project, Hakeem Olajuwon. You flash forward 30 years later, in Adam Silver's first year as commissioner, he takes over from David Stern at the draft in 2013, at Sam Hankey's first draft. That's when we see all these teams start to become, you know, the Sixers tanking and and, and them fumbling game after game was just as big a storyline as those record-setting Golden State Warriors, and it was it was a black eye on the league. Owners were complaining about it. Um, you know, ticket sales were down, and Adam Silver, in his first you know big move as an NBA as the NBA commissioner, sees that change and. They ultimately in 2017 find this lottery reform that will now impact the Orlando Magic in present day, being that the worst team no longer has a 25 percent chance at that number one pick. The three worst teams all get 14 percent now, and and the most interesting theme for all of this. Thirty years ago, when the Rockets tanked to get Hakeem Olajuwon, it was and it ultimately screwed over the Sixers because they had the Los Angeles, or at the time the San Diego Clippers pick. And they were going to be that number one you know worst team in the West and be in that coin flip to potentially get Michael Jordan number one overall. but instead Houston tanked and the Sixers end up falling down to five where they got Charles Barkley. the the, the ripple effects and the through lines through all of this are pretty
2: fascinating. That's crazy. We're talking to the author of the book Built uh, to Lose How the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. He's Jake Fisher. You can also find him on Twitter. At Jake L. Fisher, does it surprise you how much fans have bought into this line of thinking that tanking is the best way to get the job done if you're not at the top of the league?
1: It's not surprising because I mean I, I'm no longer a Sixers fan, but I remember when I was a kid at the end of that 2012-2011 season or no, excuse me, it's 2009-2010. Um, you know they were terrible and they had just missed out on. You know the the draft of the century at that time and that was considered to be like Kevin Durant and Greg Odom like they were all these franchise training type guys like it was more appealing to not be a, a mediocre eat seed when you know the the benefits are so clearly laid out for all these teams that championship-winning caliber all-star type guys, they're all in the top five of the draft pretty traditionally. And the easiest way to get them as a, as a small market team, like unfortunately, Magic fans know they're not signing a big marquee free agent in Orlando. The only time that would really be considered, like Rashard Lewis even, like a guy like that, only came to the Magic back in the day because they already had Dwight Howard, and where did they get Dwight Howard? In the draft. Right, And it just, it, it's very straightforward, I think, for these small markets who aren't the Lakers. Like, the Lakers are, are, are all over this book, kind of as a case study to showcase that they can be so poorly managed. The Lakers were one of the worst teams in the league during Kobe's final three years. They were trying to win around Kobe. They are trying to build a contender instead of tanking. And it doesn't matter. They still get LeBron, and LeBron's there in free agency, and Anthony Davis requests his trade to Los Angeles, and they win the title in their first year together. That small market teams just don't have that option.
2: If tanking's still a part of the culture of the NBA, which it absolutely is, can't we definitively say that the lottery concept just isn't working, and we should probably come up with something else?
1: You could say that. I mean, especially now, I think honestly, the new format, like we mentioned before, we went on air last night. This Detroit Orlando game was considered yeah. to be, you know, this huge affair for the bottom of the standings, but like, doesn't really matter if you're. If you're the fifth-worst team in the league, you're only 3.5% percentage points below th- those top three teams. Like you still, those teams get a higher percentage chance now. Like If, if you're the seventh-worst team, like right now the pick that the Magic hired from Chicago, I'm looking at Tankathon right now, that has a 7.5% chance of turning into the number one pick. A couple years ago, back in uh, 2014, that seventh slot, you only had a 6% chance. So you're moving up, you're moving up everybody and it it presents potential opportunities like the first year that this reform happened in 2019, the Zion draft, New Orleans and Memphis jumped up from pretty deep down into that lottery to get those top two picks. Even the Lakers jumped up from nine to four that year because the lottery didn't even used to have a fourth drawing, right? It was only three. So you're just, you're creating all this more randomness that I think might not really quell teams from doing it because we're seeing teams like Houston and Detroit and OKC and Orlando just brazenly say, screw it, we'll be bad on purpose anyway.
2: Luck plays into it, and sometimes the guy that ends up being the best player in the draft isn't picked in the top three or the top four. That's typically the case. But back in 2013, you tell the interesting story of Giannis and the different teams that were interested in drafting him back then. He wound up going pick 15 to the milwaukee bucks john hammond now the gm of the orlando magic had some secretive meetings with him can you tell me the a little backstory behind that how atlanta was involved and how secretive all of this really became
1: yeah word had started to get around the nba world and the basketball community that there was this greek kid who was six foot nine six foot ten pretty long and lengthy uh he looked like a young kevin durant kind of there was no real straight like who is this guy? Like, there was no real, like, all right, this is a number 10 prospect or whatever. He was just kind of like a, a story and an idea. And some teams bought into it more than others. The Rockets definitely uh, looked at it. I know the Kings looked at it. Philly sent some people out there. Um, John Hammond and Milwaukee did, too. But Atlanta was really, really in on him. Danny Ferry, the general manager at the time, was borderline obsessed. He was trying to convince... Giannis's agents and representatives to hold him from international play. They thought he could be a top five pick if he kept playing and showing himself. So the Hawks even flew him to Orlando or or Atlanta, excuse me. Kind of under cloak and dagger, like instead of putting him up at some fancy hotel like a lot of teams do, they had him stay at Danny Ferry's house. He ate dinner at his kitchen table from a local Italian spot with Danny Ferry's kids. And they were bringing him to Phillips Arena and turning on the lights and seeing this kid who was, you know, panhandling on the streets in Greece uh, selling bootleg sunglasses. They're watching him cry tears of joy as his big lights light up this giant arena. And the Hawks were dead set on getting him at 17. But they knew he was going to go earlier. They didn't know to where. They were trying to trade up. They were trying to trade up. They just couldn't do it. And Milwaukee, all the while, they just kept quiet. They knew all of Atlanta's... Uh, interest, But a lot of times in the draft, as it's talked about throughout the book, secrecy and holding your cards close to the vest can play a huge dividend for you and, 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 and what your team's ultimate goals are. Milwaukee kept quiet and ultimately basically swept the rug out from Atlanta, two picks before that they would have drafted Giannis. And in that Hawks' war room, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. The energy, from what yeah. I heard, was just sucked out of that space. And they lost the guy that they thought was going to be the key to their franchise. That That's ultimately why I think – this book and team building and the draft is so fascinating. These decision-making processes all ultimately come down to, you know, a couple of minutes on the clock at the guy before you gets taken or you have a change of heart. Like It's ultimately the type of decision that can cost you your job or make you a staple of a franchise for a decade to come. So those high stakes, I think, are super, super fascinating.
2: I love it. I can't get enough of it. Your book is terrific. It's titled Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. The book is terrific. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. It's out now. Anywhere books are sold. This episode brought to you by Landscape Design Source. Thanks so much for listening and continuing to support this podcast. If you're new on board, well, thanks for checking it out. Either way, if you haven't done so already, follow, download, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. The podcast gods, small g. Get excited when you do. You can follow everything I've got going on at Brandon Kravitz across Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And I'll see you back here next week on another edition of the Brandon Kravitz podcast.
0: 18- plus.